0: Everybody, welcome back to The Swarm.
1: Hey guys, welcome to The Swarm and welcome to my den. We, is, are,
0: we are in James's uh, living room.
1: We, I think we're officially a, a mobile podcast at this point. I don't think we've recorded in our studio in a hot minute.
0: We haven't. Uh, the guys at uh, Cicada were still working diligently here now at 7.15. And at that point, we're like, we probably should just leave here and go to, go to our house.
1: And here we are, 1850s original New Orleans shotgun home. James? Located in Central City
0: James has a pretty awesome setup. He's got a double with a carriage house in the back.
1: The double is currently occupied, but the carriage house is also occupied but by cats. It's seven of them It's a little dilapidated, but we'll get there yeah we will we need to find some good architects in the city um, I don't know any, but I'm sure we'll find some
0: all right, so we want we want to give a quick shout to Rivergate uh, our last episode if you do not listen to it. It's an exciting episode. I feel yeah. like we always say that, but they are.
1: Yeah. Well, and the a shout out to the Preservation Resource Center for putting it on.
0: And the Louisiana uh, New Orleans Foundation for Architecture.
1: Yes. It was really cool. Um, a lot of people showed up, people putting on the, the VR goggles and using their phones to get the 3D models. And they also played with our 3D print. Yes. Which I felt like was a really cool contribution to. They got to see the the Rivergate printed in its its full scale. I mean, in its scaledness.
0: Surprisingly, in my opinion, came out better than I expected.
1: Oh, thanks. (laughs)
0: Thanks, James.
1: (laughs) You're welcome.
0: (laughs) Um, We have been getting a lot of good feedback. A lot of people have been asking, how can I now experience it now that the event is over? And the PRC, the Preservation Resource Center, will be releasing... The um the QR codes as well as the links here soon. So if
1: you didn't go to the event, you can actually right. walk through the three D model on your phone or your computer. Yep. Right? Yep.
0: That's cool. right. Cool. Today's guest? Mike Bucher. Mike is a great case study in my opinion from a developer standpoint because he has come from a larger outfit in Sterling properties and now he's working in a smaller outfit with urban properties.
1: Kind of what we did. We went from you know, working for bigger firms, and now we kind of start our own business. Uh, and Mike gives a really good, like, human perspective on development, because every time you say a developer is development, it's like this weird, ambiguous, you know, like, what is this person coming in and doing? It kind of yeah. has, like, a... It, some people think, like, oh, ton of money, and other people think, like, oh, they're bad people. Or, when,
0: when we mean some people, we mean James, actually. He thinks...
1: I guess that was me. Yeah. I mean, well, you know
0: it's your perception. Yeah,
1: well everyone has a different perception but it's like, you know, developer they can be perceived as like the bad guy in like a movie or something. Yeah, no,
0: I think you're you completely nail nail that on the head. You always hear developer, I feel like it's very seldomly that they're shined in good light. It's usually like, oh my gosh, they're gentrifying our area. Um, I think we do get a kind of a a good glimpse into how you can become a developer, how he got to be a developer, and then like what it means for him to really help neighborhoods. You know, he's genuinely concerned about like where he lives and the people around him. So
1: Yeah, so Mike was a great guest. He's a very smart guy. And uh, following this episode, our next episode, we will have Aaron Fruman from Uncommon Construction, who was also a great guest. He runs a nonprofit organization uh, centered around building homes with high school students. Well, hope you guys enjoy this episode. Enjoy. And here's, we love y'all. Here's Mike. Hi everyone, I'm James. And I am Seamus, and you are listening to The, the Swarm, Swarm,
0: a podcast about architecture and design.
1: We're two architects at the firm Cicada here in New Orleans. The Swarm is an outlet that brings the world of architecture to the people. Our goal is to educate our listeners about design and construction by interviewing locals who are making an impact on their community.
0: So Mike, tell us, where where are you from? Are you from here?
2: I'm not from here. Um, I actually grew up, spent most of my childhood in Pittsburgh. Okay. Um... When I was in high school, my parents moved to Connecticut, so I went to high school there, and then I left, left the house. My parents said when we were 18, we had to leave, and so I took it seriously, and I, I went to College at Villanova University, and then I moved to Northern Virginia and built houses in Northern Virginia for-
0: so, Mike. I mean, this sounds kind of military. Was that a military family? going
2: <laughs> up up. My uh, dad was in the military, okay. and then he got into a sales career. So, okay, um, he w- We were kind of used to moving around. Actually, there's a couple other pit stops in there that I just sort of glossed over. So, yeah, we had a, we had kind of, we had a military background, but also, you know, my, in a sales career, you generally do a lot of moving around. My dad was in medical sales. Gotcha. So, when
1: you say built houses, were you?
2: Building houses or building houses. I was a I was a superintendent, essentially a oh, project what? manager. Um, so there was um, some guy grabbed me at a career fair and said, you know. Would you be interested in learning more about building houses? And it sounded like a fascinating thing to me because growing up, I was kind of always into building. I had always volunteered with Habitat for Humanity and other organizations like that. I took a lot of architecture classes throughout high school because they were offered. So it just kind of like was a fit. It just was cool cool first job
0: that that kind of goes into my next question you know how did you how did you know you wanted to get into development and I'm guessing that from doing this house building maybe that started a light bulb went off for you or how did that yeah I
2: mean it just started to get boring after you know just the type of home building that I was doing was very much a production style home building if you can think of like you know it doesn't you you don't see it as much in, in, in southeast Louisiana but you know if you could think about like major cities in the northeast or in the southwest or California where you have these like track home development of like 300 homes in a subdivision and everything kind of looks the same
0: totally um, totally understand totally hate that yeah. there's nothing worse than when when you have this beautiful uh, land you know with all of these trees a Um, a bunch of single family homes come in and they wipe out all the trees and then they don't plant anything back and it's literally the same exact house over and over and over, no trees. Yeah, it's
2: like the same landscaping package with like the little tree that inevitably nobody actually takes the stakes off of and it like chokes the Uh. tree to death after the first like three years. (laughs) Anyway, so I did that in Northern Virginia for seven years but it reminded me of a story looking at this beautiful cicada light fixture on your wall. I know that you viewers at home can't see this but you should stop by. But anyway. We
1: have a backlit glowing... Bug on the wall, so you can just peep into our window and take take a take a gander one of my first years in northern Virginia was one of was the year the
2: cicadas came out, you know yeah. like it's like every seventeen years or something it's like something that. crazy like that and if you've never experienced this, like this should be on your bucket list to go travel <laughs> to a place where the cicadas are coming out because it's crazy i mean it's like Warfare, like you drive down the street and you're just like mowing down. Some oh my They God. are everywhere. It's hard to see. So
0: they make like an incessant sound. I mean, yeah, is it just like? And overbearing is it overbearing it's when you're like, just yeah, like surreal. surreal? You're they're
2: like in books. some kind of like Stephen King movie where like these things no. just like rule the world for like two <laughs>
0: weeks and then they're gone.
2: And it's just like how do they? I don't I don't really understand the life cycle or how it really works from like a biological standpoint. But the, but it was like a pretty cool thing to experience. And so like but you're like finding these things everywhere for like months, you know, like in your sock drawer, like, you oh, know, under yes. the couch. It's like right. termite
1: season here. They're oh, just that
0: is like termite season, it's, except it's better. Except better. And <laughs> yeah. so we
2: had this friend who was in dental school and he found one in our fireplace in like this apartment we lived in in Arlington, Virginia. And in like two weeks later, he mailed it back to us and <gasps> um, cast in a oh, dental mold. Oh, yes. Uh, and cool. I can't find it. It's somewhere. In my, it's I've had it for years. For I mean, this we're talking like 15 years ago. So I mean, I guess the cicadas are probably about to come out again within the next couple of years. But I had this thing for years, and I wanted to give it to you. I looked. Oh, uh, that would have open, been an awesome gift. But I, I will find it, and we can do.
0: we can 3D print it then. We can 3D print it, but that's not the same. All right, Mike. So back to development. So you're in, you're doing the <laughs> <laughs> you're doing you're doing the the, the home thing and you're getting bored of it and then what happens then
2: oh so the market crashed so most you know it's a time where you think about like well what are the next steps for me and really I had always been had been thinking about getting into commercial real estate I wasn't sure what the right way to do it is Mm -hmm. and actually I think now in retrospect there's no right way to do it my way ended up being as good as any but I went back to business school and okay. I got an MBA. And did I, I don't necessarily know that I really had to do that. I think, you know, tangentially it opened up some doors to me that probably could have been opened up a number of different ways, right. you know, but, um, but that j- it just happened to be through some networking through school that I ultimately landed my first job with a real estate developer, uh, actually a REIT, um, called Federal Realty based in the DC area. But I was, um, I, I, I took that job in Boston and worked on a project. My first you know, big project in Boston, awesome. sub- right outside of Boston, Somerville, Massachusetts. How did
0: you get from Boston to New Orleans? Because I feel like that's a pretty big step. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, as you probably would have guessed, my wife is from New Orleans, and so at some point, it wasn't a matter of if; it was just a matter of when. Um, and, he's in. He's he's here now, and baby. So, <laughs> yeah. You, know, you know, we made the decision to move down here before our first child was born, about almost four years ago now. Okay. Great. Uh, and so, you know, for the personal and you know. Uh, and even for professional reasons, especially for my wife, it made a lot of sense at the, the timing of it. Um, I was a little... It was a, it was hard for me to leave the project I was working on in Boston right. at the time. It was a really great high-profile project that, that, that you know, and I enjoyed the team I was working on, but, um, but at any rate, you know, I, I knew what I was getting into when yeah. I got married
1: to a New Orleanian. Nice. So I have... My I know what a developer is, but I think the 18-year-old James had a very different idea of what a developer was. You say developer, uh, other people you hear the the term, and the first thing I thought was like, oh, hotshot person who has money, they mm-hmm. can do what they want, they can they can uh, invest into buildings or an idea or a company. But then like you go through school and like you through you learn all this history and whatnot, and it's like, oh, is the developer a bad guy? Like he comes into this neighborhood and he Ruining changes everything. things. And yeah. so like the idea of a developer is probably different for everyone. How how did you see a developer before you got into the industry? And can you explain what you do now as a developer?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question because you know, coming from my angle where I was you know in I went to the University of Virginia for grad school I was networking with a lot of people who worked for large development companies working on large mixed-use like very complicated projects in DC and Boston and New York and you know a developer for me was somebody who was like redefining like what the what the skyline looked like Right, you know, I mean, it was just like it, there was no middle ground. It was just like this, uh, you know. This is, I'm doing something transformative, right? Um, and and so glamorous. It was a glamour It was a glamour thing, right? I mean, there was no other facet of the real estate industry that was as glamorous or sexy as you know, building a you know, 20 story apartment building or you know, big retail. Um, center and, you know, right outside of Boston. And and so, you know, that was, for me, that was kind of what drove me to that, just because I I wanted to be the person who was working on the things that people were writing about and that people were talking about. I didn't really kind of understand the steps that it took for the people who were really the 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 ideas behind those projects who were executing, who brought them to the point where they were teed up so that somebody like he could work on them.
0: Mike, same parallel to architecture. You're in school, and it's like, holy moly, I, I want to do skyscrapers. And this all you're thinking about is these right. these skyscrapers, Zaha Hadid's, Gary's of the world, and no one's thinking in the back of their heads that they're going to be designing potentially bathrooms. <laughs> you know what Yeah, saying? I mean,
1: <laughs> just components of them, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, whatever just, that is. Exactly. Which is where people spend most of their time, by the way, is in the bathroom. There's nothing wrong with that, Jay. At Cicado, we make fantastic bathrooms. <laughs> Thanks, <James. laughs> Come on down. We're gonna
0: go ahead and just delete that. The uh, <laughs>
2: the, um, the first time. The, there's, you know, I mean, there's so many levels in between that, right? And I mean, even we're moving to New Orleans has kind of opened my eyes even more so to just kind of, you know, I use domain as an example, but there are a lot of folks who you've never heard of doing really cool things Mm -hmm. around this city on a scale which is attainable for just about anybody. You know, you have to have a little bit of creativity, a little bit of money, you've got to have a lot of, you know, motivation and, you know, stick-to-itiveness in terms of being able to, like, you know, see something through, you know, there's no no tried-and-true path, nothing's guaranteed to be a financial success, but there's a lot of different ways to do
0: it. So, can you Can you put what a developer is in a box? Can you explain in in a statement, like, what what does that mean to, to people who don't know what that is? You know, I mean, what ultimately,
2: you know, I mean, I think real estate development is, you know, taking, um, you know, something to its highest and best use, right? I mean, that's probably the best way to just put it in a box, whether it's, you know, uh, whether it's a a warehouse in Elmwood, whether it's an office building on Poyger Street, whether it's street retail on magazine, it's taking something and, and and transforming it to its highest and best use. You know, it could be anything. It just depends upon the market. It depends upon the demographics of the people who live there. But, you know, ultimately, you know, I think what a developer does is, you know, they they maximize what a property can be you know, in a given market. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what it's about. It doesn't have to be, you know, it can be a house. It can be a duplex, right? right? It can be a four-unit apartment building. Um, It can be a 35-story, you know, office building. Um, There's a lot of different ways
1: that that can take shape. And... And clients come to you looking to maximize these opportunities or are you out there looking to maximize your own opportunities
2: both so I mean at my role in my role at urban properties we we do both. We are out there looking for those opportunities where we see something that could be much better. Um, We are also um, we also do third party work um, and consult with um, other organizations, corporations, individuals who are who don't have that, you know, development or real estate acumen who are looking for somebody to help them, you know, take their property to the next level. Um, So, you know, I would say it's probably about half and half for us right now.
0: Mike, you you came from a larger firm with Sterling Properties prior to coming to Urban Properties. How do those, do those compare to one another, going from a large-scale sterling to an urban properties? And I guess what are the the major differences for you kind of scaling down? I mean...
2: an entrepreneur role right now at at Urban, where we're you know I'm out there looking for opportunities every day. I think at a company like Sterling and like Federal Realty before that, mm-hmm. um, up in Boston, established firms where you know things were assigned to me. Here's what we're working on. Here's what we need you to do. Right, this is a pre existing relationship, and right. we want you to you know take this you know project and and work on it. And I had that skill set. I, I wasn't really the person. I, I think what was missing in my career up until now was I wasn't the person who was actually coming up with the ideas. I was the person who was just, who was there to help execute. And and I was a good executor. Um, You know, I still consider myself to be a pretty good executor, but I was not the greatest, you know, originator or, you know, I wasn't the creative guy. Um, and, And at Urban, I'm forced more into that role to think about things differently, to scale down my expectations about what really, at the end of the day, is a project that I want to work on. It doesn't have to be in on the front page of the real estate section, NOLA.com, mm-hmm. to be a worthwhile opportunity to work on. You know, urban properties are, are. You know, our goal is really to stay centered on you know urban infill, mostly in New Orleans, small mixed-use projects. Um, but you know, it's not the reality that there's going to be opportunities like that every day. And so we've expanded our geography and have really um, we're working on projects actually really from New Orleans out to right now Um, but if we you know if we had our um, preferences we'd really be focused on the
1: urban core in New Orleans so is there any projects that you can specifically talk about that are happening in New Orleans or in the Gulf Coast region
2: yeah absolutely so I mean New Orleans proper we're working we have two projects underway right now one of them is on the Lafitte Greenway which is an area that I think we at urban as well as many others in the city find to be a fascinating you know development opportunity yes Um, Seamus
1: and I have biked it with Matt actually bikes a good ride
2: yeah it's a good ride and there's you know I think there's more and more opportunity presenting itself along the Greenway um, it's sort of you know become a it's really been a grassroots um, you know revitalization effort uh, over the last 10 years and you know continues to really be that way although there's new um, comprehensive zoning regulations in place really to kind of control what happens there I think for the better but in general um, you know that's an area we like we've got um, a property there right now that we have um, we well, Least in part to social bicycles, the blue okay. bikes around town. Nice. I love um, blue bikes. I so use them all the time. We, we
0: just so New Orleans just recently got uh, a bike sharing system. Um, we're always I feel like very late to the game in general, but we finally got the bike the blue bikes bike sharing system here in town. It's it's all over Lafitte Greenway. It's all over really everywhere yeah, now uh, in the in, in the, the
1: city. There's a few by my house, and it's more convenient than bringing my own bike to places because I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, and honestly, it's fantastic just because. It's fantastic. I said it again. It's a. Uh, we also um, here in New Orleans, there's a lot of bike lanes, which uh, for like maybe a big ur- urban city, that's more common. But for a smaller uh, city like New Orleans, it's not very common. So we're actually on the forefront of making this kind of a bike-friendly city.
0: Yeah, I think, and that's that's totally why you know the the bike sharing system took so long is because we didn't really have many roads a that were drivable by car and b actually had a bike lane. So I think we're finally getting there. But
2: uh, uh, I'm, I'm still. <laughs> Staying in a very close radius to my house on a butt at any rate, so their social bicycles is the company behind that, and their local hq is in one of urban's properties also. on the Lafitte greenway and so you know that's that's what we strive for is kind of doing something different, bringing new um, you know new uses, whether it's retail and social bicycles, whether I think it's like a quasi you know almost entertainment use, but um, you know to the city um, and so you know there are other components of that property as well, one of which is um, a development which is in the works and unfortunately can't be discussed at this time, but it's something that we look forward to some announcements on because that's more, it's really a true development project on the Greenway that we're excited about. Is
0: there a project that that you've been assigned to that's been unexpected and um, interesting that you'd like to (laughs) disclose?
2: I don't know if you're leading me. Um, <laughs> we are <laughs> not. I'm. I'm uh, building a trampoline park okay. uh, right now. So, uh, which I, obviously you guys know um, in Slidell, actually of all places. Nice. And so the uh, so that is one that kind of fell into my
0: lap. Um, well, I think this is a great story because yeah. and I, and I was leading you. I, I uh, take the blame there. But it's a great story because suburban life, we keep talking about the city, but where suburban life is going. And so you have these big box stores and you can elaborate on this a little bit more, but big box stores are going out of business and there's these shells and what do you do with it? You know? So, and you guys are, I mean, I think it's great.
2: Absolutely. I mean, this is going to,
0: this will be a a
2: real estate problem development, you know, just, you know, is only part of that equation for years and years to come. I mean, big boxes in terms of, you know some of these you know you know the names the toys r us is the Sears of the world you're constantly reading about se- store closures and how do you repurpose this space and yeah. um, that is a real estate development problem to some degree and and so in some cases in some very specific cases because the requirements for repurposing these buildings to trampoline parks are very specific in terms of ceiling heights and the amount the size parking requirements etc but this building, which was a former Best Buy building in in, um, in Slidell, uh, actually coincidentally, that Best Buy had vacated to go into a Sterling Properties development um, at Fremo Town Center a few years ago, and sat empty for a few years, and was identified by Altitude Trampoline Park as a great market for a trampoline park. And so, uh, you know, they they brought me in really as the sort of the the real estate development expert to really take this project kind of full circle from an empty you know, run down, shut down Best Buy to, you know, a a, a vibrant kids-centric trampoline park, which will open in September.
1: Well, it's it's a very unique unique. um, program for a building, and it's also interesting to see how the lives of these spaces that are typically designed uh, specifically for one thing, like cheap, fast construction that has a very minimal amount of columns, high ceiling space, and then the the original uh, tenant moves out and now it's like what do you do with that yeah I mean that's a huge amount of space right I mean it's a thirty thousand square foot
2: building and uh, and so you know one of the things that you know that that I find you know very interesting about uh, about this is just that it's a two million dollar job so you know I mean in the scheme of things it's you know it's not a it's not a Big project, but you know, I mean, that capital has to come from somewhere. There's only so many types of uses that can backfill that type of, you know, that type of space. These are generally not national companies. These are generally local people. Um, so that's where we're, you know, filling a niche with a local group who's yeah. decided to invest in something. They've got the capital. They don't have the expertise. Um, you know, my, our backgrounds at Urban are all pretty much in retail, and if you're in the retail business, business, you understand that as the future of online, you know, retail evolves the you know the future is really going to be in an, an experience driven right. you know uh retail properties where you can be entertained where you can eat a you know a great you know kind of chef driven meal um uh, whatever that is but you know the run-of-the-mill shopping centers are you know they're they're you know dying
0: is there is there any other weird quirky similar to the trampoline story that that you could elaborate on um
2: That's a great question. So similar to the tramp... The trampoline thing is definitely going to be one of the more unique things I've ever worked on. Uh, But I did... I worked on a project in um, outside of Boston, bringing uh, Legoland Discovery Center to um, to Boston, um, cool. thirty five thousand square foot, essentially Lego Wonderland. That's it's crazy! An indoor amusement park, essentially all designed around Legos. Wow. Um, and so, you know, that was another kid focused entertainment venue that um, you know, actually was similar size. Although that was ground up construction, was part of a bigger. Um, retail entertainment building complex that we were doing outside of Boston. So that was neat too. I mean, they had like a contest to hire the master Lego builder for this store, which was like a national contest of like people who just were like amateur Lego enthusiasts, and the one who won got to be the the designer? The, the, the Lego like the the Lego the master Lego builder for that store. Like That's that the was architect job, dream. Right? That is the, their dream. The, the architect dream. They had full scale <laughs> <laughs> replicas of Fenway Park, what? oh and wow. the, you know Prudential Tower and Faneuil Hall, Plaza everything Tower. Everything you can think about and Plaza and Tower. That was <laughs> Would be uh, Lego uh, the Lego Land would, Discovery Center would be awesome in New Orleans. I think it would do really really well for people who are looking for things to do with their families down here. If we could find a, My, they're expensive. Boy, deals Mike, there. queue
0: it up. Find the next big box store going out of town. Let's Lego center that Let's thing up. Let's Lego it let you're up. The perfect person. In,
2: in reality, it needs to be like as close to the French Quarter as possible. That is true. So maybe that's a future use of you know a, few, a couple floors of Plaza Tower.
1: It. Yeah, I'm so it. Mike walks in and we have a 3D print of Plaza Tower on the table and he, he points at it and he's like, hey, did you know an interesting fact about this is that there's a, there's a resident there used to be residential apartments inside and there's a pool right here and we were like, no, what? we didn't know that. Yeah, this building wild. has like a life of its own and yeah. obviously from our previous episode, it's definitely taken on like a, a cult of its own. The 3D model needs to be updated for the pool. <laughs> it does <laughs> it's need to be. Pretty rusty.
2: Mike's,
0: Mike's beating us up over here over our 3D print. If you had an unlimited budget tomorrow and can build anything right now in the city of New Orleans, what would that be? Wow, an unlimited
2: budget. Unlimited and budget. Anything? Does it need to make money?
0: uh ooh, man, you ooh,
2: know i didn't ooh, ooh. i didn't let's specify that
1: let's do both we didn't we didn't we didn't you... talk about
2: the other aspect of real estate development is you need to make money doing it <laughs> otherwise you are not going to be a real estate developer let's, for very long let's pretend that uh no it doesn't have it to make doesn't money doesn't what would you money? want
1: to see in the city
2: wow i mean if i were so okay well that's interesting um i would like to see if i had an unlimited budget unlimited budget i would like to see the interstate Underground. Oh, oh.
0: Bold move. I didn't see that coming at all. Doesn't so, make money. I could make money.
1: You know where my mind went just now? I was thinking indoor skydiving, but not like <laughs> the fan, like literally <laughs> <laughs> built a tower like 1,400 feet tall. So anyway.
2: uh, so the in, the interstate, you, you know, I mean, a great example for this, and I, I'm kind of cheating a little bit just because I lived in the city, is the big dig in Boston where they, they put a uh, section of I-93 underground. Um, and really, what that did is, when when the when the highway, you know, when the when the U.S. interstate system was built back in mid-century, um, it really isolated a lot of neighborhoods, especially with elevated interstates. Um, it did, it certainly did that in New Orleans. It Absolutely. did that in Boston.
1: Treme um, is, you know, is a great example.
2: The Tremay is a great example. You know that whole Claiborne corridor, North Claiborne corridor. Uh, well, in Boston, you know, same same unintended consequence. Um, it was about a 30 or 40-year project in the making. By the time that that stretch of the interstate was completely underground, but it's transformed the city. It's essentially taken two areas of which were separate and distinct and really um, opened up, you know, uh, so many real estate development opportunities. But you know, putting an interstate under the ground is real estate development just as much as you know mm-hmm. building a building. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. And you know, I think uh, really I don't understand totally what the geotechnical. Oh my goodness. I was going (laughs) to say, I mean, unfortunately, Mike, we're no
0: longer in Boston and (laughs) we are, you know, Underwater, well, so right is now. Boston. Don't like forget, so is tunnel. Boston. That's true, right? Okay, so, right on the
2: harbor, and well, technically
0: is all you know. So they just insulated we, themselves as far as the water table out there. I mean, they were just able to insulate themselves from. Yeah,
2: they went under the. They went underground. I mean, it's a that's tunnel. True. That's true. Uh, You know, so I mean, I I don't how that was designed and engineered, engineered. You know, I mean, but it, it's
1: really it, it shouldn't be that much different. I think we need to step guess. it up. Well, this is a good design subject because the elevated interstate. Um, kind of doesn't work here because of the massive size of the columns and the height that they chose to elevate it. So if if we could have at the time made thinner columns and gone much higher and maybe painted the underside of the interstate, it would have allowed enough light to go under where you could plant trees, right? And it's actually a constraint of the structural design and the design choice and obviously the money that it took to build it. So. That's just a good example of how something was designed a specific way and it immediately just like knife cut an entire neighborhood and made like a desolate area. Absolutely. I mean, and you know, if
2: you want a perfect example of that, even in a modern day sense, I mean, look at the university medical center and its connectivity to the rest of the downtown. I mean, Mm -hmm. there is none, you know, people don't want to walk back and forth underneath the interstate. It's very difficult to make that transition. Right. That's a
0: great point. Um, is there any project that you've done while at Urban Properties that you feel proud of right now? That's going on in the city.
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think I'll, I'll give some more, more credit to the other guys at Urban than myself on this one in particular. But uh, you know, one of the projects that. That um, is, you know, very under the radar. You know, most people probably aren't even going to see it or notice it. But is in a, is in Tremay, um, which is the the renovation of a historic building that used to be an a, a deli, actually, kind of more of like a corner grocery store deli, um, into um, retail and mixed use with a couple of apartments, a couple condominiums. It's really kind of transforming a corner at Ursuline and uh, North Door Genois, Um and is is just a cool. A, a very cool um, example of small-scale real estate development in the city—the type of thing that's accessible to anybody to who's interested right. in, in, you know, in getting into that business—and uh, and so it's you know it's probably you know two three months away from completion, and it's just going to be a, a, a very cool project in the urban portfolio. That's
0: great. It's one of those things again. It's not a skyscraper um, that we kind of always dream about, but it is something more tangible that does affect our daily lives and better[s] our daily lives. If you if you could give a piece of advice uh, for your younger self to where you are now, what would that be? That's
2: a that's a great question. Um, wow, a, a piece of advice to my younger self.
0: Um, you're in, you're in college. You don't know what the heck you're doing. You think you want to be an architect? No, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I think uh,
2: my wife tells me this all the time, and you know, I think that the you know, the, the key takeaway is, is mindfulness is living in the present is understanding, you know, that, you know, that, that life is short and, and don't take yourself too seriously. Um, and I think that I, I'm getting better at that. Um, you know, I mean, I think, especially in the real estate development world, um, you know, you, w- People can take it very personally when you're trying to come into their neighborhood and change something, mm-hmm. uh, right? And, and you know, it, it, it it's always good to understand that there's a compromise, that there's a, you know, that there's somebody who's lived there all their life and, you know, has a perspective that's different from yours. Um, just because you think you've got the best idea doesn't mean everybody else does. Um, and so I think that, you know, it, it's easy to get frustrated and turned away by, you know, you know, whether it's a city council, whether it's a neighborhood, you know, a, a neighborhood association, whatever it is. And so, you know, for me, I mean, the, th- the piece of advice that I would give myself is really, you know, don't take yourself too seriously. Understand, you know, other people's perspectives. I think that that's really a linchpin of, you know, being a successful real estate developer.